Hey loves, I'm Marley Liss, and welcome to the Sensual Revolution. This is a global movement to reclaim sensual empowerment on an embodied and systemic level. My personal path of sensuality has not been easy. Shame around my body image, sexual abuse, and my queerness had me dissociated and numbed the heck out. It's been a big journey to get to where I am today, but I really have turned my pain to purpose. Along the way, I've learned our personal healing makes epic waves in this world. This podcast is here to remind you that your healing is selfless. When you learn to shed shame, love your body, and claim your worth, you pave the way for all people to do the same. Here, you can expect to hear from sexual educators and healers who work at the embodied level of sensual empowerment, as well as policymakers and justice leaders who work at the systemic level. It's all connected. So whether you're at the very beginning of your own sensual healing journey, or you're a sex-positive advocate and superstar, this community welcomes you. Let's come together and revolutionize this planet one loving, sensual step at a time. Hello loves, welcome back to another episode of The Sensual Revolution. Today's conversation is probably one of the most special, beautiful educational conversations I've ever had. I feel like so deeply impacted and inspired by Katherine Hervey's work and what she shares with us all today. So I can't wait for you to listen. Before we dive into that, I want to say happy Sagittarius season. As a little Sag baby myself, this is my favorite time of year and so many exciting things are coming up over the next month. I'm offering a absolutely free workshop on December 8th. It's going down in my Facebook group, Claim Your Sensual Empowerment. So you can find that in the show notes. This is going to be a masterclass on how to cultivate sensual self-love and a sense of embodied safety. I don't know about you, but my nervous system has been so grateful for practices where I can calm myself down, give myself the love and compassion I need learn how to take myself from a state of fight or flight into one of just like relaxation and feeling freaking peaceful. We all so deserve to have these tools in our toolkit and to be surrounded by a community of people uplifting us and doing that work of sensual reclamation with us. So it's going to be so, so good. It's open to all women and non-binary folks. So join the Facebook group for access and I'll see you on the 8th. I'm so looking forward to connecting with you all. It'll be interactive as well. So we'll get to like shoot the shit, get to know each other a bit. I also have a really exciting collaboration coming out with Eva Bloom, who you may remember from an earlier episode of the podcast. They came on and talked about queer sex education, Harry Potter houses in relation to your sexual identity. Like we had the best conversation and even I have decided to launch a really epic fuck comp support club for lgbtq plus humans and it's gonna be so good so that's just a little teaser but keep an eye out for more information on that and let's talk more about today's episode so you're gonna hear today from Catherine hervey who is an award-winning filmmaker whose work focuses on those of us living in the margins but refusing to be marginalized 
Um, she's the creator of the Prison Within documentary, which I highly recommend. It's an award-winning film that sprung from her work as an LA public defender and volunteer prison college instructor, where she worked with men weekly who had committed serious acts of violence and had been sentenced to die in prison. Um, the documentary premiered at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival. It won Best Social Justice Documentary, seven different awards, including the 2021 Media for a Just Society Award. It's absolutely incredible. Catherine's a thought leader in the field of criminal justice reform. She's been featured in Business Insider, The Guardian, Forbes, other publications. She is just amazing and so compassionate and loving. And we get a little witchy today too, which I'm always here for. In today's episode, you'll hear about restorative justice, challenging the binary of good people and bad people. She shares about what it was like to make her documentary following the transformative stories of criminals and survivors, some stories of hope and transformation from inside prison. We get into why the prison system is ineffective, perpetuating violence and lacking accountability. We look at the ways that punitive approaches have seeped into social justice spaces and the call for compassion to be able to hold one another with complexity, nuance, and love. And we get into unapologetic corniness, which is my new favorite saying. This is all about reclaiming our right to hold expectations of love, hope and transformation. I know you're going to love today's episode, so let's get into it. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited to be here with the amazing Catherine, who is such an inspiration to me. Catherine, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So let's start with this kind of fun question that you can answer in any way that feels good for you. Um, Who are you in this chapter of your life? (laughs) In this chapter, I like that, right? We have many, many chapters. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, right now, I'm a filmmaker. I'm most definitively a, a filmmaker and an artist. I will say it's kind of taken me a while to get here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that definitely is how I identify um, as a creator and also as a uh, criminal justice reform advocate. Uh, mm-hmm. Definitively, yeah, I have about 15 years of experience, probably more than that now, um, kind of being in this realm of criminal justice work and anti-racism work. And so, yeah, both of those things are definitive identifiers for me. Amazing. Yeah, thank you. And um, I just recently watched your amazing documentary, The Prison Within. And of course, it dives deep into restorative justice, which is really near and dear to my heart and work and story. So can you tell people who maybe haven't seen the documentary what it's about and what it focuses on? Sure, sure. So The Prison Within for me, it it operates on two different levels, right? So there's kind of the obvious level where we're following men, all of them who have committed murder inside San Quentin prison. And we watch them transform, you know? Um, 
simultaneously with survivors who are coming in on the inside, right? And the idea is, is that, you know, I specifically edited it and set it up so that um, their stories are parallel, right? Thereby showing hurt people hurt people. We're really, all of us are traumatized. We're all here to heal our trauma. And that really the men healing their trauma is not that much different from the survivors healing their trauma, of course, because people who commit crimes are, you know, survivors many times over for the most part before they, um, before they hurt other people. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, on the other level, which is very important to me is the prison within that's the title of the film, the prison within. And it's really about a call for us individually and collectively to really take deep dives within ourselves and the harms that we've done um, within our individual lives and also as a collective, right? And I feel that um, we are a society built on the annihilation of native populations. Um, this country was built on slavery and indentured servitude and we don't talk about it. You know, for the most part, we don't talk about it. We kind of have been, you know, shoving it under the rug, shoving it under the rug, shoving it under the rug. Mm -hmm. And I would say even now we don't really talk about it. You know, I think that people saying silence is violence on Facebook is not really talking about it, right? Right, right. It's, um, wow, like what is my part in this collective, right? What, mm -hmm. what can I do and what should I not do, right? as a white woman in this world in order to, you know, be a part of the change, be a part of healing. And that it really begins inside of me, always, mm -hmm. always, always coming back to ourselves, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that, thank you. Um, I think that's so beautiful. I think sometimes we can have this kind of dissonance between what's going on inside of us and what's going on outside of us in the world and just, bringing it all together and taking that personal ownership is so beautiful. I would really love to know like what brought you to this work? And that's a big question, but um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a controversial topic to make a, a documentary on. So I'm, I'm curious, like what led you to being so passionate about restorative justice and criminal justice reform and to making that film and doing this work? Sure. Um, you know, I would say, first of all, a lot of it kind of goes back to my background. Um, you know, not so much kind of uh, my own childhood, but I, I grew up on the border. I grew up on the border of El Paso, Texas. Mm -hmm. And I would literally be on the school bus and see families crossing the river, you know, mm -hmm. holding their kids over their heads and, you know, carrying their lives over the heads over their heads to come over here. And then, you know, three border patrols, border patrol cars speeding to the dirt to come get them, you know, mm -hmm. and I was really affected by this. So I think very, 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 very early on. I had no illusions about the world, <laughs> you know, really, really no, no illusions about the world. It, it didn't make any sense to me. Why would they even want to come over here in the first place? It doesn't seem like they're really treated that fairly. So, um, and then, you know, 
I went to law school. I became a public defender. First, I was an artist. And then in my 30s, I went to law school and I became a public defender. And so, you know, you're in it, you're working in that system. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you're, you're working with trauma, just, you know, like a stack load of trauma every day. Right. And so then you things start becoming even more and more apparent that way. Not that I didn't know that they were not, you know, but, um, you know, really starts entering your body and your consciousness in all these different ways. And, um, I left the public defender's office. I kind of had this big spiritual awakening. I got sober. I had this spiritual awakening that I'm an artist. I'm a creator. I'm not an attorney. If I stay here, I'm going to kind of die a spiritual cellular death. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Relatable. Yeah. Yeah. It was very, very clear to me. So, Mm -hmm. um, and then I started teaching uh, as a volunteer instructor of political science at a men's prison in Washington state. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I quickly realized that pretty much everyone I was, I was in there, all the men that I was meeting um, throughout the years, they all had, most of them had LWAP, which is life without parole, right? Where these inherently long, long sentences, uh, you know, which, which generally means they did something, which generally means they really harmed another person, not always, of course. Mm -hmm. And, um, I really felt this palpable sadness and wanting, wanting to make reparations, wanting to reconcile, wanting to heal themselves, wanting to heal the world. But of course they're not able to because they're locked behind the walls. And really I would say in many ways, not even having the language to do that. Mm-hmm. And so the prison within just really kind of sprung from all of that, you know, my other restorative justice work, my other activist work. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super powerful. What, what I appreciate about this work so much is it just challenges so many of the mainstream narratives we're given, like the binary of good person, bad person, and the idea that that prison is the ultimate justice. Um, I'm curious, like when you first became a public defender, did you believe in the prison system? Were you like, this is, you know, how to make wrongs right? Or were you kind of challenging that from the outset? Oh, no, I definitely did not believe in the prison system, you know, and as a public defender, you're defending people from entering into the prison system. Right, right. um, But, you know, you do really, you know, I want to say this with the utmost respect for public defenders, because their work is so necessary right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're they're construed in this weird ways if they're not competent or, (laughs) you know, they're not really working for their clients, which isn't true. But, you know, I I did also feel like, uh, like a cog in the wheel, a cog in the system. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, there's really uh, only so much that you can do, right? And that's really, you know, you're there for that client that's sitting next to you. You're, you can't, you can't change the system. There's no way to change the system as a public defender at that level, as a trial attorney, you know, first of all, cause you have a hundred cases coming at you, new cases coming at you almost every day, right? Mm-hmm. You're super under-resourced and, you know, you have this person in front of you who is 
you know, really looking at having their life to really start to deteriorate very, very soon. And so that's, that's what you're focused on. Yeah. Yeah. I think I just took a tangent. Did I answer your question? You totally did. (laughs) You totally did. It's always a tangent with topics like this because they're so big. Like there's so many directions to go in. Um, I'm curious, like for someone listening to this who really holds the narrative and belief that prison is the answer and that that is justice, um, why would you say that that prison's ineffective? And I guess I want to share as well, like, I remember when I asked for my sexual assault case to conclude with restorative justice, and one of the prosecutors was like, oh, honey, like, don't you understand rape is bad? And like, people who do bad things should go to prison. And that's how it works. And um I don't, I don't judge those people because that belief is so deeply ingrained in us, in, in everything in our world. So yeah, all that to say, what would you say to someone who holds that belief and, and why is prison not necessarily effective and, and healing? Well, I think there's two kind of main points there. One is that there's, there, there is no accountability, right? Mm-hmm. Accountability is super important if someone's going to, because you know most people are released, right? And if they want to change, if we want you know people coming out as quote unquote productive members of society, whatever that means, um, they need to take some accountability for their actions, right? And really over 50% of people in prison are, are in there for acts of violence. It's, mm-hmm. it's um, you know, people kind of think everyone's in there for um, drug crimes, but, you know, people are in there for crimes of violence. As a public defender, I know there's no accountability because the very first time you meet your clients, right, even if they want to tell you everything, I'm so guilty, I did this, I did that, I'm shutting them down, right? I'm saying, hey, my name is Catherine Hervey. I'm your public defender. It's so nice to meet you. You know, I have like really like 10 minutes with them at this point. This is what we're going to do. We're going to go in, you know, tell me your story. We're going to spend a little time. Then we're going to go in and we're going to plead not guilty. You know, <laughs> I mean, first, you know, first time that you're meeting with your attorney, you know, outside of your arrest and already you're not guilty, right? Mm -hmm. There is no accountability there. It's just everybody gaming and working the system, right? Mm -hmm. Which I had no problem doing because that was, that was my duty. That was my duty. And I took it very seriously, right? Like you have no one on your side at this point, except for me as your attorney Mm -hmm. and I'm under-resourced. So, um, you know, and then going to prison isn't really accountability either because we're just throwing, we're throwing more violence at them. It's a system of violence. And really then what happens if you're not willing to take those steps and really work on yourself is that the violence just becomes more and more entrenched, right? So we're taking already traumatized people, we're throwing them into a system, first the court system, and then the prison system, which uh, are you know, traumatizing people just as much, right? There's a bunch of studies that say that people come out of prison with as much PTSD as people who are coming out of, you know, war zones, coming out of the military. Mm. Um, And, you know, it's about survival, basically. 
if you don't have any other resources in there and then they come out and we expect something different mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's silly it's absolutely silly mm -hmm. and i will say this is that um you know i've had people watch the film and i i take it to heart they say oh my gosh before i watched your film i was a lock them up throw away the key i don't care about you why would i care about you and you actually have me thinking you actually have me changing my tune a bit right mm -hmm. and i think that's the third component which is very important and this is very much with the prison within is that we think that somehow we're better than people who are in prison that mm. that you and i are not capable of committing violence and it's not true it's 100 not true you know but for a specific set of traumatic circumstances you and i are just as capable of really hurting other people you know and there's many instances in our life even now where we're hurting people you know um so yeah mm -hmm. yeah okay since you brought it up before we hit record I'm like we can get a little like creatrix um feminist energy like when I think when I think of all these punitive notions that come with the the idea like everything you just so powerfully and clearly said of like these these binaries of good guys bad guys criminals innocent people all these things like I really kind of think back and I'm just gonna go here like to the like biblical notions of heaven and hell and this this really intense pressure that I think a lot of people are experiencing today to be perfect and I think we're seeing that in the form of like cancel culture online like which side are you on so I'm curious like what what is the alternative to that if we're if we don't have good guys and bad guys what what do we have well we have nuance mm -hmm. what we have is the human experience Mm-hmm. You know, um, we have the ability to contradict ourselves. We have the ability to grow and change. And uh, I mean, you know, it's it's heartbreaking the world right now, how binary it is, you know, mm -hmm. even more so since the pandemic started, right? You know, because fear, fear is powerful. Fear is powerful, right? Um, so, you know, I, I mean, it's so deep, right? Because it's also very patriarchal. The, you know, this binary way of thinking is very patriarchal. Um, it's very much part of white supremacy, I would say. You know, perfectionism, you mentioned perfectionism. Actually, one of the, um, the women that I'm filming for my upcoming documentary, her name was Paris Hurley. Everyone should check her out. She was actually just talking about the same thing where she was saying, um, you know, uh, perfectionism doesn't allow for reflection. It doesn't allow for us to make mistakes, really. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't really allow for the fullness of the human experience. And she said this beautiful thing. She said, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, this, these systems of perfectionism and white supremacy and binary thoughts that we live under so fully right now, 
those were created through repeated action, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have the ability now through other forms of repeated action, which we're taking part in, right? To begin to change that narrative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Um, what do you think happens to someone when we label them bad or a criminal? And like, how does that shape their actions in the world or even their, their sense of self? Oh my gosh. Well, I think that we can all relate to it even in our own lives, right? Different labels that have been thrown at, thrown at us, especially as children. You know, if, if we had hard childhoods, if we had those labels thrown at us as, as children, um, you know, I, I know I definitely did. I'm still working through them, <laughs> you know, and I will be working through them probably for the rest of my life in some form, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, um, that's a big component of the film and a big component of, I want to say the, um, the Insight Prison Projects and the Vogue program, which is the, the program that we filmed inside of prison, right? It's this notion that you are far more than your worst act. And mm -hmm. I even add to that, uh, then the worst thing that's ever been done to you too, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, which I'm sure that you can relate to, you know, you don't want to kind of be stuck as a, as a victim all the time, right? Mm -hmm. you, you're, you're a far more full person than that, right? And I'm sure you, you, you don't refer to yourself that way or think of yourself that way. But, um, you know, I think it can destroy us. I think given the right set of circumstances, that having these labels put on us, and I would say, especially in a prison, you know, where you're given these like horribly long sentences, 25, 30 years, and every step that you take, you're told you're bad, you're bad, you can't be trusted, right? Um, I think it can, you know, it can destroy people and it does. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I'm just so grateful for this conversation. I'm like on my period too. I'm like tearing up. It's, like, <laughs> it's um, no, it's so important and it's it's so compassionate. And I I think that I think that a lot of the time people hear of restorative justice, and I know I've received these comments with my own story. Like people um, fear that this approach is, I'm sure you've heard this term many times too, soft on crime and that it, it's dangerous. Like it, it removes safety from our, our world. Um, yeah, what, what, how do you respond to that notion that this is too soft on crime or it's like a coddling approach to people who have committed harm? Well, I think if you look at recidivism rates that that's just not true. Right. I mean, you know, to me, that implies that, oh, what we're doing and being hard on crime is working when it clearly isn't, mm -hmm. um, you know, and again, it's it's also, you know, it's, it's also having the willingness to just make these huge paradigm shifts within ourselves and our culture, you know, mm -hmm. like I just made a film that basically, you know, shows you men who have murdered other people. And I'm asking you to love them to a certain mm. point, right? I'm like, I love them. I have so much love for them, right? 
Like, can you love them? And if you can't love them, can you see them as human beings? And can you forgive them in, in, some, in some capacity, right? Can you see yourself reflected in them in some way, right? And I think that people do. And I think that we have to do that for everybody is the mm. thing, you know? I think that we have to do that for white supremacists, mm. <laughs> you know, for people who, um, you know, are, you know, think very, 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 very different than these. You know, it's the same thing. You don't just, um, you're not born as a white supremacist. It's, it's just the same as somebody, you know, committing an act of violence, you know, that's coming out of a series of things that have been taught and inflicted upon you. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if we really want to change things, then that needs to be unpacked. And I'll tell you, that process is not soft, right? Going Mm -hmm. deep inside of yourself Mm -hmm. and the harms that you've caused to other people, especially when you've killed someone, that is so much, you know, more brave than just doing time in prison. Yeah, yeah. Oof. Um, Again, I'm just like so grateful for every (laughs) every bit of this. It's, It's so... It's so beautiful and it's such a big shift. Um, But I think it's ultimately such a compassionate one and such a liberating one. And and I hear so much of reclaiming our humanity and what you're saying. And that's like humanizing others, like humanizing anyone who's, who's caused harm in any given moment, but also reclaiming our own humanity and our capacity to to love people in that complexity. And I, and I think that we ultimately love ourselves more when we're able to love others in their complexity, you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I'm just, I'm really grateful for, for that. I also hear a lot of explanation in what you're saying of um, the importance of context. And I think often with quote, quote, criminals, we look at one person, like one person as an individual and we say, you did this, like you're bad. So can you talk a bit about context and systems and the way that that culture kind of is responsible for for violence and not just one person? Let me know if that wording is confusing or if you're getting me. (laughs) Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, it's it's so deep too. Yeah. Like I I feel like... um, I feel like it's in the air that we breathe, right? I, I feel like, you know, all these systems of impression, they're, they're, they're tangible in many ways and then they're intangible in many ways, right? Because there are, you know, there, there are the systems that this country was built on. Mm-hmm. I'm getting, wait, hold on, I'm getting so emotional. What was your question? Uh, I'm so here for it. I am too. I'm like, this is so um maddening yeah yeah basically basically like the individual responsibility that we place on someone the individual blame that we place on someone versus can you share a a different perspective that looks at a wider cultural context of of why people harm yeah 
um, you know, we need to start looking at historical and intergenerational trauma. To me, that's, that's the large context. And again, I think going back to the individualization of it is also, I think, an unwillingness to look within our own selves. You know, it's, it's like if we're upset about something in somebody else, it's because there's an aspect of that inside of ourselves that we don't like about ourselves. <laughs> and um, it's it's just true, you know. There's there's ugliness inside of all of us, and when we don't like the ugliness that someone else is projecting, it's much easier to throw it at their backs than to really look at ourselves. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's twofold. Yeah, this has been a big theme for me lately. Do you have any thoughts on the ways that we might be bringing punitive? systems and punitive tendencies into the social justice movement? <laughs> we both know that's a very tricky question, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I will say that um, uh, I've been in, uh, you know, quote unquote, restorative justice meetings with restorative justice organizations that I found most um, horrific and binary conversations between people <laughs> mm -hmm. that, um, you know, and again, it's because we're human, right? Like, like you know, we're, we're human beings. Um, how, how are we bringing RJ into social justice venues? Is that the question? Um, yeah. Or no, how are we bringing these kind of binary notions? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would say it's just the same. I would say it's just the same. Um, it's still, you're bad, I'm good. This is my belief system. This is not your belief system. Mm -hmm. And I think it's becoming worse. I think it's becoming far worse right now, um, you know, our government is doing it, you know, very, very, very blatantly, right? If you're vaccinated, you're this, if right, you're right. vaccinated, you're that, right? And somehow, because of these binary notions, it's okay for, you know, people to be forced to do certain things with their bodies that they may not want to do. I mean, I think it's all over. I think it's all over right now. And I'm hoping that it's because things tend to get worse before they get better. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I hope. Um, you know, historically, that kind of seems to be how it happens, you know, and I, I think that we just need to realize that, you know, these period of things getting worse before they get better when, when we're talking about human history and just the way that humans act, these are long periods. <laughs> you know, um, you know, it, it's not a year long that, you know, things are going to get worse before they get better, right? Yeah, yeah. Like this is in it. And we're, I feel like what we're in right now is, is the prison within, right? Like we're in the murky, we're in the dark, we're in the like, ah, I don't want to look at that. No, that's not true. Oh, this person here agrees with me. So I'm just going to go there because it's easier, right? Mm -hmm. Um, 
we're in it. Like we're in it right now. And for me, it's, it's again, like in order for me personally to kind of get through this, uh, this time that we're in, I just, I just keep returning to compassion for people, you know, um, regardless of, regardless of what you think, regardless of what you feel, you know, it it is what it is. That's where you're at. That's where you're at. You know, I, I feel like we just need to accept that we're all on our own journeys here. And like, I really think we're all trying to do the best we can, man. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, as much as I disagree with someone, I think that they're doing the best that they can. And it feels much better for me to honor that just than to throw fire at situations and sticks and stones. Yeah, classic eye for an eye makes the whole world blind kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I don't know about folks listening, but just like, I feel such a deep, um, peace and relief and a longing in listening to you share about that and just imagining a a world where we're able to hold ourselves with that compassion for being nuanced and complex and doing our best and being able to hold each other in that way it's just so beautiful I would love to hear um I think that transformation is like one of the most beautiful words and and ideas what are, what are some like moments or stories of transformation that you've seen that have kind of like, ex- like expanded your expectations of what's possible in terms of transformation? And like, I just think we're really taught to not believe in transformation and to um, give up on each other and lower our expectations and judge ourselves as naive if, if we think people can transform so can you just share like some magic with us of some some moments or stories of transformation I mean you know it, it's definitely with people that I've met inside prison like uh you know when I really when I first started going in it was really hard because what I was seeing from men inside who were quote unquote unredeemable, right? Mm -hmm. Sentenced to die in prison. And what I saw was them being in community with each other and in such deep integrity with themselves Mm -hmm. and with each other that I would leave the prison walls, right? And come back out here and be disappointed with people. And it was, such a disconnect for me I was just like oh my god like these men need to be out like they they need to be the leaders in our communities right now right because they have been able to transform themselves so fully with so little resources um yeah I mean you know people who hold themselves accountable right for every little misdoing that you do throughout the day. That to me is, um, I, have a, I have a lot of respect for that, right? And that, that's something I try to do with myself. And I mean, trust me, I fail all the time. <laughs> but um, that's where it's at. That's where it's at. I mean, you know, 
it's hard being a human. Are you kidding me? I mean, some <laughs> of the that I say to myself sometimes, I'm like, wow, Catherine, you would never say that to anybody else. Do you hear how you're talking to yourself? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm, I, I, I'm very inspired by people who think that they don't know anything, right? <laughs> that um, just accept that, you know, we're here on this journey to learn and to love one, love one another as much as possible and to keep coming back to that and keep falling off the horse and keep getting back on really. Mm -hmm. ah, it's so compassionate. And I, I think of like the mental health crisis that's happening um in our world and I think I want to say especially in North America but I, I also want to say globally <laughs> um and I I just yeah I just feel how important it is for us to to it almost feels like coming back to like a kindergarten energy where it's just like sharing is caring and it's it's kind of simplified um I just yeah I just really am <laughs> with everything you're saying I'm just like yes I yeah. know see that's the thing though is that you know we're made to feel that it's corny right mm -hmm. we're made yeah. by this larger world and these systems to think oh come on really like that's gonna work like your mm -hmm. your lovey-dovey potion of you know compassion and forgiveness and looking at yourself like good for you you know mm -hmm. but um I mean but you know when you really like when you look at all the religions when you look at all the masters like whatever religion it is um it, it's all coming back down to self-love and self-mastery mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. And well, yeah. projecting that out into the world. A hundred percent. Well, I'll share with you too. Like I, I, I didn't know restorative justice existed when I was going through court, but I wanted it and I didn't know the name for it. And you said, you said something earlier about loving um, people who have harmed and I remember like I made a, a video weeks before I did go to court and I was like, I want to have a heart that's so big that I can even love this man who raped me. And I remember feeling very naive and very ignorant and the, the patriarchal narrative was kind of like, get your head out of the clouds, girl. Like, where do you think you are? And I think... I think it's very real that we're taught to judge ourselves for holding those like quote, quote, corny um, beliefs in love and hope and transformation, but we can't eliminate these things in, in the name of judging ourselves for being corny, um, which also reminds me of the amazing woman in your documentary, um, Dion Johnson. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, and how she shared about, well, maybe you, you, you know more, maybe you can share, I mean, I know it's not your story, but maybe you can share a bit about her experience and what was captured in the film. Sure, sure. So first I just wanna say, I so applaud your experience and everything that you went through and everything that you've done and the way that you're taking, you know, a, a horrible experience for you 
and really expanding it in this way with love and transformation and just getting your voice out there in this really big way. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. So Dion, her husband was murdered. He was a police officer and she was, uh, you know, at that time of the mind of a lock them up, throw away the key, obviously as you know, a law enforcement family and her husband's murdered. And that's, horrible that's absolutely mm-hmm. horrible and she wants the death penalty for him goes out on this uh, big media campaign to really get it for him really vilifying um the man who killed her husband in the media and she gets the death penalty and lo and behold <laughs> she feels just the same it brings her no healing no complete no completion you know, if anything, she she felt like she almost felt worse, right? Because she'd been holding on to this, oh, once we get the death penalty, everything's going to be okay. And then, of course, it's not because she needs to heal herself. And, you know, vengeance and violence, <laughs> generally not the way to do that. Um, and so, yeah, she goes on this whole beautiful journey where she ends up going into prison and sitting with the men that we had been in circle with, kind of filming um, that whole year. And yeah, really realizing that hurt people hurt people and that she's on the same journey. And that, you know, what she was doing was, was, was hurting Irving, that's the man who killed her husband, right? Through state sanctioned violence, right? Mm-hmm. And really started questioning how different is it really? Yeah. Wow. Beautiful story. It's a beautiful story, right? Mm-hmm. Because again, she was, she did the work. She did that hard work. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Friggin' huge bottom of my heart shout out to Dion. <laughs> like I just, yeah, I just like instant teared up when, when you said, you know, she, there's that moment where she gets what she was fighting for the death penalty, but it's, but it's an empty moment. And I just think that that's such an important story because I think that as survivors were promised that it's like drag yourself through this system that sucks for you too. Like the, the court system is so horrible for us as, as survivors too. And we drag ourselves through it on the promise that we'll feel free and safe once that person is locked up or even sentenced to the death penalty and there's so many of us who don't access that because of like inequity within that system and so many things and the quote quote privileged very small percentage of of victims who do get that outcome have that experience of just like exhaustion and emptiness and that cycle of dehumanization continues and it's just like and the alternative that we're discussing of like actual transformation and healing it just yeah I just it just feels so important so thank you for sharing that and you know part of that is that you know the state thinks that it knows what you wanted right the state was like oh we know what's best for you we got this right and it's not true it's not true the state just wants to win right? Mm -hmm. The the state's incentive is to win. It is not about your healing. Yeah. 
Yeah, and how wild to leave the the notion of healing out of <laughs> out of all of this. <laughs> it's just left out. Yeah, I mean, you know, even like when we were creating our press and our descriptions of the film, you know, there was this hesitancy to even use the word healing, which is so ridiculous, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you want the obviously, you know, you make a film, you want it to appeal to the largest audience. How are you going to be describing it? And, you know, it's the same thing that we're talking about, like, oh, healing, how corny, you know, mm -hmm. but, you know, ultimately we did, of course, because that's what the entire film is about. Mm -hmm. But, you know, why did I even have to have that thought in my head? It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, yes, yes. So important. Um, all of this. Can you share in an unapologetically corny way. Um, <laughs> I kind of like that. I'm like, I want, maybe there should be some merch or a podcast that's called unapologetically corny. Um, <laughs> unapologetically corny. Yeah, exactly. Cool. <laughs> in an unapologetically corny way, what is your vision of, of justice in our world? I mean, in a dream world, I guess, harm wouldn't ever happen at all. Um, but if we were in that kind of in-between space where harm was happening, what what would be your your highest vision for how we handle that harm and how we do justice? Ooh, I think justice is such a loaded word right now. I almost, I almost feel like I just want to like take it and like, you know, maybe we need a new word. Mm. <laughs> Maybe we need a new word, right? Um, uh, reparation, reconciliation. I, I really like the R's, right? Yeah. Restora restoration, mm -hmm. restoration <laughs> is, I think, a better word than justice, mm -hmm. right? When it's really, it's like, here's the situation. Somebody has been harmed. It's, it's, it's not okay, right? What can we do? to restore this situation and to restore the people that are involved in it. What is the best way to do that? And I think, and of course, this is part of the problem with the world that we live in, is that we have to think, we have to accept that we don't know, right? Mm -hmm. And that the solution that we might come up with might not work. And we may need to be fluid with it. And um, you know, look at it differently and apply a different situation, right? Uh, we need to unpack the thoroughness of the situation where it's not just the four elements of a crime, right? Someone, you know, and that's what it's broken down to really is there's four elements or three elements, whatever it is, is a crime. And can we prove that this person committed it? And if so, then they go to prison. And so, yeah, it would be a restoration and an understanding that it may not work <laughs> and that we may have to keep doing, you know, applying different answers and different approaches. You know, um, a, a lot of the shows that I'm on or, um, you know, articles, people ask me, they're like, how do we move from a criminal justice system to restorative justice system, right? Or how do we use restorative justice to change the system? And I always come back to, you know, 
<laughs> you know, it's ridiculous for us to think that we can just change a system overnight, right? And that we also need to realize that these systems are made up of people. And again, that if we in our own lives <laughs> can't use kind of more restorative methods in our, you know, with my husband, you know, I don't have kids, but with our children and our communities, with our friends, then we really can't be like rah, 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 calling to change the system that way too, right? It's, it's not going to work. Like we're, we're really all in this together. It's really all connected. And I'll just say one more thing. This kind of goes back to another thing. When um, I remember when Chauvin was, uh, you know, the guilty verdict came in, right? And my Facebook page was filled with people, criminal, like restorative justice advocates included, mm. calling for like the most horrific violence against him. Like, oh, I hope he's raped in prison. And you know what I mean? It's just like, um, wow, you know, you can't call for restoration on one end and then call for a man to be raped in prison because you don't like him on the other end. Mm -hmm. So, um it's restoration and you know it's holding ourselves accountable as mm -hmm. well as we're as we're calling for restoration yeah yeah powerful and and I want to say too mm -hmm. um you know I I don't want to make it seem like um <laughs> they um you know that I'm not an asshole mm. <laughs> from time to time on a daily basis so <laughs> mm -hmm. I just try and catch myself yeah yeah i one of my favorite things to give myself permission to sit in is like conflicted feelings um i think even i think of when you were just sharing that i think of when when kobe bryant like tragically 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 died and there were so many posts just like kind of pedestaling him being like wow this was one of the most incredible people oh my gosh and then he also has a history of, of sexual violence and um, we're just leaving that out or we're not acknowledging the nuances by being like, this is the most incredible person in the world. And I was like, I'm confused because I feel so much empathy about the tragedy of that death. And I also don't want to just pretend this was a 100% saint angel, never done wrong person. So it was definitely a big learning for me to be like, it's okay to have conflicted feelings. Yes, thank you. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and Let's it's scary. Another, you have to start another podcast. It's yeah. Feel that, you know? Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, you're so amazing. Can you tell us what are some things that you do to like fill your own cup and give give yourself love each day. And of, of course, also like the perspective that you're sharing of holding ourselves in that complexity is so self-loving. But yeah, I'd love to hear some of the things you do to take care of yourself. Oh, thank you. Um, I, I move my body a lot. I really get things out. It's super important to me, running, doing yoga. Um, <clears throat> Uh, you know, meditating sometimes, not always, but, you know, trying to find some quiet time for myself, trying to be out in nature, um, and really just, you know, um, my friend Karina, 
Montag. Everybody should look her up. She's amazing. She was an advisor on the film. She has this thing called, rig she calls it rigorous accountability. Hmm. And I really like that. I really, really like that is, hmm. you know, I'm rigorous. I'm very rigorous with myself. Hmm. Um, because, you know, uh, I've been taught growing up to, um, to be ugly, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the, the world that I grew up in was kind of ugly and not very safe, right? And mm -hmm. so, you know, we kind of turn that, turn that on ourselves, which then of course means that then we turn it on to the world and to people around us and especially people we love because they're the closest to us. And so, yeah, I try mm -hmm. to be rigorous. Yeah, amazing. I'm excited to look that up and um, I'll look it up and maybe maybe drop some of those those notes and references in the show notes as well for folks to find. Can you share um, what's next for you and like a little bit about this amazing project, this next film that you're working on? Sure. So, um, you know, I'm still doing a lot of criminal justice work, of course, but I'm also beginning to produce um, another documentary that's very, very different from The Prison Within. In some ways, it's like The Prison Within was Hurt People, Hurt People, and this is kind of more Healed People, Healed People. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> which is also so interesting because it's like that was where I was at that time, moving through my own stuff, making that film, right? Mm -hmm. So it kind of makes sense that here is where I am now. The creative process is so interesting. Um, and it's about creative process. It's um, really following uh, female artists, female in the broadest sense of the word, but you know, it's about women <laughs> um, in the broadest sense of the word who are creating art as its own radical act to shift and really elevate consciousness, elevate consciousness and shift the paradigms that we're in. Mm -hmm. um and you know what I I'm interested in this idea of this is the world over here right this is the patriarchy these are the systems these are all the things that um you know I've kind of railed against my whole life and I can continue to rail against or I can be like so tired it's, you, you guys are so tired I don't even have time for you. I don't even have time for you because I'm over here creating and shifting. And those are the those are the, the artists, the women that I'm following as well, right? They're totally on their own tip, totally on their own trip. Great that's happening over here. I'm already over here, man, shifting. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's technically kind of matrix, but I think that that's gonna change. Okay. I'm so excited about this. Like, I just love this so much. And um, a, a word I'm really passionate about is embodiment and just like embodying what we want the world to be, which brings it into our reality and our world now. Um, so humans, like you're describing, that approach to life is just one of the most exciting and inspiring things to me in the world so I'm so excited to to watch this and I'm so happy 
that you're creating this and that you you've created all that you have and will continue to um this has been freaking amazing can you let listeners know how to connect with your work maybe how to watch the film and of course we can drop those links below as well yes please do so yeah um i have a website katherinehervey.com uh, the Prison Within is available on all the things, Amazon, iTunes, different cable channels. It's going to be streaming on Discovery Plus in February. Very exciting. But if you go to theprisonwithin.org, um, it'll kind of list all the places it's available, or you can just Google it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. Amazing. When will when will Creatrix be out or, or other title? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, please, please watch. So actually next week we're heading up to the Bay Area. We're going to be filming an amazing artist, also a very close friend of mine. Her name is Anastasia Shapani. So um, follow on Instagram, Catherine Harvey at Instagram, which is at the very least, because I don't have anything else for it yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need to come up with a solid name for it. But yeah, on Instagram, I'll definitely, that's definitely where I'll be posting um, the shoots and the updates about Mm -hmm. the upcoming documentary. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. I feel like this has been magic and I've like teared up and just felt really (laughs) deep hope as well in, in so much of what you shared. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I feel the same way. Yeah, so fluid, so beautiful, so, so easy. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you so much for listening, loves. So many moments of that interview. I just like wrote them out in my journal, quoted them. Wow. Catherine offered us so much power in that conversation, so much inspiration and and love. I think that these can be really courageous topics to navigate. So I honor every single one of you for listening with an open mind and heart and whatever you may have felt throughout listening to that. I honor that as well. If this inspired you, please do share this podcast, leave a review. It really helps us amplify these messages. I hope to see you on December 8th for this upcoming workshop on how to cultivate sensual self-love and embodied safety again you can join and access that by joining my facebook group via the link in the show notes make sure to follow Catherine. check out the prison within documentary if you haven't yet it's amazing i'm sending you all so much love and i can't wait to share next week's episode with you 